Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you don't leave us alone in this world, but you speak, you teach us, you exhort us, you encourage us, you rebuke us. Father, this morning we ask, please, that you would humble us. You would show us our place in your creation and in the way you've ordered society, and that we would live lives that honour you, that worship you as we seek to pour ourselves out in the service of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is going to come back again. He, he promised it. He said it himself. So if you're going to believe any of the Bible, you have to believe that. Jesus is going to come back again. And when he returns, he will bring with him our salvation. It's going to be the end of the world as we know it. But I feel fine because, thank you those who get it, because Jesus brings salvation. The day of our salvation is nearer now than it has ever been before. And it's nearer now. And it's nearer now than it ever has been before. Jesus is coming back. And that should give our lives urgency. There's a priority to living his way, knowing that he's returning. And it could be any moment. Now we began last week this little section in Romans 12 to 13 where we're talking about true worship. And true worship for the Christian is the whole life lived out, no longer conformed to the pattern of the world, but being transformed. And do you remember what was being renewed? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is our worship, to be living sacrifices, that picture of putting ourselves onto the altar with the warning, right? What is the living sacrifice like doing? It keeps trying to crawl off the altar. We've got to stay on there. All of our lives served, lived out in the service of God. And we're continuing that theme today. Chapter 13 just carries right on through chapter 12. We're still talking about true worship. We're still talking about what it looks like to live all of our lives for Jesus. And I've got four areas in which we have specific instructions in this chapter. The first one, chapter 13 of Romans, verse 1, is submit to the governing authorities. It's a very straightforward command. There's nothing particularly difficult to understand here. Right, Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Isn't that a strange thought? Oh. Communist China. God's hand. The parts of the world where there is Islamic rule. God's hand. Our government. God's hand. Every authority in the world has been placed there by God. And so we are to submit. And we submit to them because they are God's agents to bring about good in society. Now what that means is that if you rebel against those that God has placed in authority, then rightly you are to be punished, verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
Jeez, a challenging idea, isn't it? I don't think it's hard to understand. I think the problem is us. Uh, If you're anything like me, you think of all those crazy examples out there of of these governments that are just oppressive and tyrannical, the dictatorships where where genocide is carried out for crying out loud. And you think, well, really? God's calling me to submit to the... The problem is our government at the moment isn't like that, is it? I mean, you might think they're oppressive and tyrannical. I, I don't. I mean, they're, they're okay as far as the world scale is concerned. But even so, we are called to submit to them. It gives us comfort knowing that nothing in this world is outside of God's hand. And we came across the idea as we talked about the sovereignty of God and God's control over the affairs of the world. Even governments... Even rulers are still in his hand. Do you remember Pharaoh? This is a story from the Old Testament. Right back at the start of the journey of God's people, there was this ruler. And what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh ordered the baby boys of the Israelites to be killed. Not exactly what you'd call a benevolent ruler. And yet, even under Pharaoh, God brought about good for his people. He saved them from starvation. He multiplied their numbers. When he rescued them out of Egypt, they did so with wealth and riches. Think about Pontius Pilate. What did Pontius Pilate do? He ordered the Lord God, Jesus Christ, crucified. That's not a particularly benevolent ruler. And yet this was under God's sovereign hand and control. All the authorities of the world instituted by God under his hand. And I'll tell you what, it gives me great comfort. That whatever it is that government does, whether I agree or disagree, whether it makes my life easy or hard, it is still within God's purposes. It is still within God's plan. His promise to do good for us still stands. The instruction to us is, Submit to the governing authorities. And we do so in this passage, I think, for two reasons. The first of those is because of punishment. We all understand this one. You do wrong and the authorities have been placed there by God to punish you. So don't do wrong. Do good. Submit to them. Verse 3, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and he will commend you. He is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In God's plan, he uses government for good. Generally, to promote peace and to restrain wickedness. You think for a moment what society might look like if there was no rule, no law, nobody to enforce peace. I like that house. I'm going to go and live in that house. Oh, you're already in there. Sorry, too bad. I want it. Get out. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm changing the locks. It's my house now. It is a nice house. I like living in here. Ah, hmm. No, I want some food now. I'm just going to go and steal some... Do you, I don't like you, so I'm going to kill you. I don't... I mean, it very quickly breaks down. It very quickly ends up with all of our own selfishness coming on display, doesn't it? The authorities are placed there by God so that wrongdoers will rightly fear punishment. 
and those who do well will be commended. Why do you want to throw off the shackles of the government? Why would you want to rebel and overthrow it unless it's because you want to do the things that they don't want you to do? We submit to the government because of punishment. Now, I fear for us, for us, this is kind of an Aussie culture thing, and for those of you who've come from other cultures, maybe it's from yours as well, and perhaps you've picked it up from us. I don't know if you... We, we, we try and get away with as much as we possibly can. Does that describe you in any way? I was in a conversation the other day where uh, the person was talking about how their commute to work, and they travel on the M7. Uh, I won't name names. Um, and they... They were saying, oh, so, the M7 is so great. Such a quick trip at 105 kilometres an hour. <laughs> well, hang on. Isn't the speed limit on the M7 100 kilometres? I said it, right? Isn't it 100? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, but 105, that's the speed that the cops don't pull you over at. So you can do 105 and you're okay. Isn't that our mentality? What can I, how far can I push? How much can I get away with before there's punishment? When I was at uni... Uh, there was just this culture of piracy, of downloading movies and TV shows and software. It didn't matter what it was, as long as you could get it. Uh, apparently, our universities have the highest per capita piracy in the world. Champions, we've got to be good at something, right? And why? Why? Well, no one can catch me, right? No one knows. There's no punishment. There's no reprisal. What can the authority do to me? Or so we think. So there's a second reason why we submit to government. It's not just because of punishment, but we also, Christians, do it because of conscience. Verse 5. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. If we understand this, if we know this truth, if we grasp it, that the authority is there by God's hand, then we submit to them as having been placed there by God. To keep our conscience clear, not just out of fear of punishment. We do it willingly, bound by God's word. The ruler is God's servant for good. Even if that good doesn't mean my happiness, even if that good doesn't mean what I want it to mean, even if it's unseen and unpunished, Still, Christians submit to the governing authorities. If you're going to do something naughty because you think you can get away with it, the government's not going to see. 103, they're not going to stop me. Who is the authority? It's God. Do you think he doesn't see? I'm doing 105, God can't see me. What? Of course he can see. His is the ultimate authority. And so we submit to the governing authorities. Now let's be clear what we're talking about here. We're talking about submission, not necessarily obedience. We need to get the difference between those two things very clear in our minds. Submission is about accepting the place of another over you, of humbly accepting the power that another has over you that they have been placed there. It's not a call about value. It's not about they're more important than me. It's not that they're worth more than me. It's just this is the way our structures are set up. Our relationships work. So there are times when we have to submissively disobey. 
I can think of two particular times when we might be called upon to disobey our government. Firstly, when the government tries to take the place of God. If the government attempts to usurp that which belongs rightly only to God, then we're going to have to disobey. If, uh, if for some reason the Queen, who is still our monarch, however much we might like to ignore it, if the Queen wakes up one day and says, okay, all of my subjects must worship me as God, well, we're going to have to say, I'm sorry, but I can't. If our government says to us one day, you must now stop preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm very sorry, I can't. There is a higher power than you who has told me to do this. So if the government tries to take the place of God, and secondly, if the government tries to compel that which is against our conscience, I take it that in those two it is right to disobey. However, submission means that even as you disobey, you still accept the consequences. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not us being able to say to the government, well, stuff you, you can't do anything to me, I'm going my own way. Peter, one of the very early Christians, one of the apostles, as you can imagine, was preaching about Jesus very early on in the piece. They couldn't shut him up. And the Jewish authorities called Peter in and they said, look, guys, uh, you've got to stop preaching about Jesus. Understandably, right? They just had Jesus killed. They didn't really want Peter to be preaching about him. And Peter said, I'm sorry, I can't. I have to preach about Jesus. You tell me which is right, to listen to you or to listen to God. And so he went out and kept preaching Jesus. Now Stephen, one of the guys, what happened to him? Acts chapter 7. They continued, they disobeyed the authorities, but they submitted and accepted the consequences. Stephen was stoned to death by those Jewish authorities for preaching Jesus. So we are called to submit, we're called to accept the government's place over us, which doesn't always mean obedience, but it does mean we acknowledge their right to bring about consequences if we do not. And maybe that'll happen with us, with, with the, re, the redefinition of marriage, right? If it does go through and same-sex marriage relationships are, are allowed to marry, the government may well come and start saying to us, you may no longer preach this particular thing. And, and we might have to respectfully and submissively say, I'm sorry, I can't obey you, and then accept the consequences as they come. But what you need to remember is that God's kingdom doesn't depend on politics. God's purposes doesn't depend at all upon who is in power. In fact, time and time again throughout history, it is when it is an anti-God government that Christianity flourishes. You think about China. What was it, the 40s? Communism came in, they kicked out all the West, all the missionaries. And what happened in the next 20 years? Christianity just exploded. You think about some place like Iraq right now. War-torn, Islamist, and yet Muslims are becoming Christians in their thousands. God doesn't need a particular political party in power for his purposes to be accomplished. So please don't put your faith in political parties. Don't put your faith in individuals to govern. Don't expect them to save the world. Jesus saves the world. Now look, we live in a democracy. 
sort of, we're still under a queen, but we have a functional democracy. They've invited us to participate in governing by voting, by electing representatives. So by all means, make use of what the government has given us in that mechanism. But don't think that they will save you, that they will somehow fix all the wrongs in the world. That belongs to Jesus. All right, that was the first point. The others are shorter. The first point, submit to the governing authorities. Secondly, pay your taxes. It's a cheery sermon today, isn't it? Pay your taxes. It's right to do so. If the government is placed there by God, then it is right for us to fund them. All right, verse 6, this is also, because they are God's servant, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If taxes, taxes, if revenue, revenue, if respect, respect, if honour, honour. Australians seem to have this love-hate relationship with taxes. We kind of hate it, but then we really like the tax refund. So I don't know how you kind of, right, how many big screen TVs have been purchased with that. We have a deductions-based system, so make use of it. Be wise, be prudent. But what's your attitude? Is your attitude one of submission? Is your attitude one of desiring good, that God's agents would do good in society? Or is your attitude one of, what can I get out of it? How can I fulfil my selfish desires? I love taxes, personally. Every time I say it, people think I've just said I have leprosy or something, right? It's like, what do you, what do you, what? what? I love taxes. I love it. I love the ability to take a little bit of my wealth and do so much good. Our roads are astonishing. Our hospitals are amazing. Medicare is just wow. Our schools, they're okay. Right? Just what, what government. And it's right to pay those. I've lived in a country, right, where the government takes your tax dollars. And do you know what they do with them? Whoop! In their pocket. Literally. And just, man, you guys, you can get stuff, right? And yet still, even then, it would be right for us to pay taxes. It's wrong for them to do what they do with it, but it is right for us to pay. It's right for us to support them. Those who give their time, full time, to governing. And it's right to do it because of the principle in the next section, the third command, and that is love. Love. See, if you want good for other people, then surely you would rejoice at the opportunity of a little bit of your wealth going towards good for others. That's why I say it. Here's the principle. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, whatever other commandments there may be, they're summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Don't do what you do out of debt because you owe somebody, begrudgingly forced to do it. Do good for others out of love, out of a desire to see them blessed. Now, verse 8 has some controversy around it. Now, let me read it again. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Literally, the verse says, don't owe anyone anything. Have no debts. Don't ever owe. And so for some, what that means is you may never borrow money. You're going to buy a house? 
well, then you need to save up, don't you? And when the day comes that you've got your million dollars in your hand, you can go and say, I pay now, cash, right? There's... There are some who say you, you shouldn't have post-paid bills. You know, you have your electricity bill and it comes and it says you've got to pay within this month. Well, you owe money on that bill now. So you always need to prepay. You've always got to be one bill ahead, essentially, so that you're not... Look, if somebody holds that view, to be perfectly honest, I'm not necessarily going to try and convince them out of it. God's going to bless their desire to obey his word. However, there's a difficulty, which is verse 7. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Therefore, there's an expectation by Paul that we will owe. So how can you have verse 7 and verse 8? Pay the people that you owe, but never owe anybody anything. It's kind of... So I take it that verse 8 is meant to be read in that context again. The principle by which we do things is not out of debt, but out of love. Don't find yourself seeking to behave in ways that you have to behave because you have placed yourself in a position where you owe others vast amounts. Rather, do what you do because you love them and you want good for them. Okay, we ask them to submit to the authorities, pay taxes. We do it because we love other people. We want good for them. And fourthly, we do it knowing the time that we live in. Understanding what day it is today makes a really big difference to a lot of things. I can started today with us with, oh, what's, is there something special about today? What is what's today after all? Oh, it's Father's Day. It makes a difference, right? I completely forgot about it. I walked out the door this morning heading for early morning church and when I got here, someone said, oh, it's Father's Day. I thought, oh, that's right. My kids have presents for me. I probably should have let them open them. Oh, well, never mind. We'll do it later, right? It's, knowing the day matters. I woke up one day a few years ago now uh, and I, I knew what lay ahead, right? I knew what day it was. I knew what was coming. I, I had a foe to face. I had a big barrier, a big hurdle to get over. So I, I got up and I prepared for the day, right? I shaved. This was back in the days when I looked like I was 11. And, uh, and, and, I, and I put my, uh, my suit on. Uh, I had, had shined shoes. Um, I, I, was, I knew what day it was. I had to prepare for the day ahead. My best man had to do the tie before I went and got married. But that, that, you're right. What day it is matter. You've got to know what time is today. And the day that we live in, you and I, is the day when Jesus is right about to return. Any minute. Okay, not that one, but maybe the next one. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe Tuesday, maybe next week. But he's about, this is the day we live in. So Christian, here is the fourth thing for today. Get up! Get up! Stop slumbering. Stop lying there in the comfortable warmth. It's time to leave behind the old ways and get dressed, ready for battle. Right? Verse 11, do all this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day's almost here. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armour of light. It's a picture of battle, of warfare. 
Now, fair enough, if it's the night before the battle and maybe you're going to die tomorrow, fair enough for you as a soldier to want to maybe have a few bevies and get up to some mischief with the other soldiers and just live a little and, 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 and get up to the sorts of things that you get up to in the night. But once the sun rises and you're about to charge, you do not want to be the soldier who's in the front line still wearing his ducky pyjamas. Put the armour on. I've been struggling a bit recently with getting up. Uh, it's just it's winter time, the alarm goes off, it's kind of ah, it's so nice and warm and snuggly in bed. You, you, you anything like me? I just, oh, just want to lie there. If I have to get up, I've got to deal with the kids, I've got to go to my study, I've got to work. It's just so much nicer to just... Ah. I think part of the problem might be my alarm, actually. I, um, I brought it today. Just uh, you can, have, can you turn this back on for me, Whitey? Um, so this, this is what my alarm sounds like. Uh, let's just see. I've got some volume. This is, what, this, this is what I woke up to. And it starts quiet on purpose, right? Because maybe sometimes I wake up, and this way I can stop it before it wakes Edwina up, right? But if I'm sleeping a bit too heavily, then uh, it starts to get a little bit right by now. Often I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm up, maybe waking up. The problem now is I'm awake, but, ah, oh, gee, that's nice. I know it well, it's my life, every morning, right? And sometimes I'm not awake yet. Like, it's been a long night, someone's been snoring, you know what I'm saying? I've got earplugs in. So it gets a little bit more exciting, right? The volume comes up a little bit, it's time to wake up, man. But it's still just so nice and warm. Oh. Okay, now I'm awake. By now I'm normally awake, right? But now it's just fun. Sort of lying in bed. I don't want to face the day. Too much like hard work. It goes on for three minutes anyway. Do you know what my alarm should sound like? Who's got one of those? Yeah, yeah. Gee, it's easy as a Christian. It's just warm and comfy. Come to church and just the people are nice. Jesus forgives me, so if I'm still kind of dabbling a bit in the old things, it doesn't really matter, does it? If all I can think about is how I'm going to gratify the next desire of my flesh, we got heating. It's warm. It's easy. It's comfy. Get up, Christian. Get up and put your armour on. It's going to be cold. Armour is not warm. But you need to get ready to face the day. Let's behave decently, as in the daytime. And look, this list here, if any of these describe you, then stop. Not in orgies and drunkenness sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. It's not an exhaustive list, but certainly start there. If that describes you, stop. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't plan. Don't spend your life with all your mind consumed by the next moment where you're going to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
put aside those deeds of darkness. What are you as a Christian doing? Are you comfy and warm? Or are you dressed for battle? Prepared to put behind you the darkness of the old ways? Prepared to step into the light and fight to live a life that pleases your Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what the motivation for me is in this passage. Right, it's there at verse 11. The hour has come for you to wake up. Our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. That's where we started. Jesus is at the door. He's right there. Do you want to be the one that when he opens it and comes, you're still in your pyjamas? You're still clothed in the darkness of the old way? Or do you want him to find you armoured up, fighting hard to live for him, offering all that you are as a living sacrifice to him? And yes, that means submitting to the governing authorities. Yes, that means paying our taxes. Yes, that means loving our neighbour. Yes, that means get up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wake-up call. Uh, We ask that this would truly serve as an alarm, not just to, to wake us up and roll over and keep slumbering as Christians, but to get us up to put behind us that which belongs in the darkness, to instead armour up by your word, by your spirit, in righteousness, in prayer, to live lives that are dedicated to honouring you, to live lives of sacrifice. And we ask this for your glory and for your honour. Amen.